The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. Exercise is really the standard of care that we rely on. You might say, well, this is an illness that occurs with particular types of activity. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Today we're going to discuss an article titled, The Effect of Flat, Flexible versus Stable Supportive Shoes on Knee Osteoarthritis Symptoms. Joining us for this is Dr. David Felsen, who's the Director of Clinical Epidemiology at Boston University and he also directs the Research in Osteoarthritis in Manchester group, which tests new treatment for osteoarthritis. I hope that you learn quite a bit about osteoarthritis and why shoes just might matter. David, thank you so much for joining us uh, on this podcast. I was fascinated by this article because as a runner, I noticed over the years that if I wear the wrong shoes, it does affect my knees. And But I'd never thought about that in the context of knee osteoarthritis. So I was really attracted to the idea that two different types of shoes might make a difference. I thought it might help to start out by just having you go over the epidemiology of knee osteoarthritis, who are the patients, and what do we think is the cause, because it's such a common problem. This is an illness, if you define knee osteoarthritis as pain in the knees or a knee on most days with a radiograph that shows osteoarthritis, that occurs in about something like 6% of people age 30 and over and a much higher percent of people age 60 and over, about 12 to 13% in the United States and probably in Europe too. And so it's very, very common. And one of the reasons it's generating public health concerns is that we don't have great non-surgical treatments for this illness. And uh, it's a source of frustration for many docs treating patients with osteoarthritis and, and uh, many docs having members of their own family or themselves having the osteoarthritis because it's so common and such a common cause of disability. This is one of the most common causes of disability in the world. It's no less frequent uh, outside the United States than it is in, in the States. Risk factors include the main one is getting older, but others include obesity as a huge risk factor. And then previous injury is a huge risk factor. So when you were younger or in middle age, did you get an ACL tear, get a meniscal tear, have a major knee injury that predisposed you to later osteoarthritis? So those are the major risk factors we know. I think the other important risk factor is that women get this disease, older women get it more than older men. Although this disease is so common that to say it spares older men is just wrong. It happens in everybody to a great extent. Osteoarthritis is also real common, about, about half as common as knee osteoarthritis. And they're both driving Medicare 
and the government health service is crazy because the demand for knee replacements is skyrocketing and it's compromising Medicare's budget because so many people want knee replacements. So this is a big, big issue. It's a big problem. Being a, a, an older person, I have a lot of friends who uh, do have knee osteoarthritis and some have had knee replacements. Is there any treatment that seems to improve quality of life? There's a lot of treatments that are recommended that have, that have moderate effects on pain and quality of life. They include uh, nostroidals, a sort of very uh, conventional treatment uh, that you can do orally or topically now. I think the topical version isn't quite as effective as the oral version, but it's real benign, um, which is nice. And uh, obviously there's all kinds of side effect and adverse effect concerns with oral nostroidals, but, but, uh, but they're pretty effective in relieving pain. Uh, exercise is really the sort of standard of care that we rely on. And you might say, well, this is a, an illness that occurs with particular types of activity, which is right, like going upstairs is a classic, you know, uh, trigger for osteoarthritic pain in the knee. But the truth is that prescribed exercise, walking interventions and strengthening interventions have been shown in trials to alleviate pain. And I think we need to be encouraging, and I encourage at every visit, my patients to, to exercise. And I give them a sort of a prescription and an exercise prescription in a way. And many of them who follow that will get substantially better. So I, I'd say that those are main, the main uh, sort of sources of, of relief. I think corticosteroid injections also help transiently for a few months. And we all have patients in rheumatology, at least, who rely on those corticosteroid injections on a, you know, whenever they need, uh, uh, need it for a, a pain flare that, tep that typifies this disease. So yeah, there are a few things that, that help. Well, the, the whole idea of exercise in some ways uh, really leads into the study that we want to discuss, which I found fascinating that there was a theory that flat, flexible shoes might be better than stable supportive shoes. And uh, I know in the running community, this is always, some people think they need supportive shoes. Some people think they need flat shoes, but maybe you could explain why there was a desire to do this study, what was the rationale? Well, the rationale is a good one. It's a biomechanics rationale. So, uh, and you're absolutely right. There is already background literature and belief that flat, flexible shoes would be beneficial for knees. The rationale is that in gait studies where they measure the moments across the inner side of the knee, the medial knee, people walking barefoot tended to have lower medial moments or less load on their medial knees than people walking with shoes on. And so that suggested that any shoes that got close to barefoot posture would be helpful for people. So the way that's measured, the, the metric that's used is called the knee adduction moment, the, the moment across the inner side of the knee, which is the load that occurs in the medial versus the lateral knee. And most knee osteoarthritis is medial. So most patients are suffering from damage in their medial compartment and probably pain that emanates from their medial compartment. So unloading that compartment, which we do in other ways, we do it, for example, with if you, if you use braces to treat patients with knee osteoarthritis, you're doing it to unload 
the affected compartment, which is usually the medial compartment. So the idea behind this study is that barefoot posture has a lower medial load than shoes do. And we're going to develop shoes that replicate as closely as possible barefoot posture, flat, flexible shoes that feel like you're almost walking barefoot. And so that's the idea. And then the bad guy in this equation, based on literature, is supportive shoes. Studies have shown that the adduction moment is a little bit higher. And one of the reasons for that is that they lift you up. So the farther distance from your trunk to the floor, okay, the greater the adduction moment. So if you can do something to lessen that distance, okay, you lower the medial load. So barefoot lowers the medial load and a very shallow shoe that's very thin will lower medial load. So that's the idea behind this. And there's been one study that isn't terribly well done, a randomized trial in Brazil with shoes that look like dancing shoes. I, I, you know, when I was a young guy courting my wife, I used to go folk dancing all the time. And a lot of the people who do folk dancing wear these black, thin dancing shoes. You, you, can, you can buy them in Chinatown, I think, because uh, they're very popular in China also. And, uh, and those are classic examples of a thin, flexible shoe, where it almost feels like you're not wearing a shoe at all, or have no limits from a shoe in terms of your, your movement. That was the set of flexible shoes that were tested here. And then the, the supportive shoes are shoes you and I know well. They're running shoes. They're shoes that, have, uh, that, that runners use. They have medial arch supports. They have heel bars that prevent your, uh, your calcaneus from moving when you, uh, when you heel strike, when you run. And the heel is lifted up a little bit higher than the sole. There's a substantial sole and heel that keeps you from experiencing the impact of the ground when you run. Okay, which is good, but it also moves you farther away from the ground, which should, in theory, increase that medial load. So the idea here is that these should be bad, okay, and that those flexible shoes should be good. If medial load is what's driving pain and driving grief in people with NeoA, the flexible shoes ought to be better. And that was the idea. And as I mentioned, there's a Brazilian study of this dancing shoe that was a randomized study, not greatly done that suggested just that. So these are researchers from Australia who are world leaders in studying the effects of shoes on osteoarthritis. And just to remind you of the old ditty, the knee bones connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bones connected to the foot bone, et cetera. What happens in your foot and ankle gets transmitted, okay? Get communicates with what happens to your knee. So you can mess around with the load in your knee by changing the way you walk or what shoes you wear. And that's probably why you've noticed when you run okay, that, that particular shoes make your knees feel better. I love this study. And the reason I love it is because there, anytime that there's a uh, sort of physiological or biomechanical hypothesis and you just can't be sure, I love when someone does a study to see whether or not the theory works. Let's just talk a bit about the shoes and there are pictures of these shoes in the supplement to the article. When I looked at the names of the shoes, I knew a bunch of them because I, because I know what a lot of running shoes look like. But maybe you could just tell them a little bit about how they chose the shoes, and then we can talk about 
how they did the study, and then we'll get to the big reveal. These are very uh, high-level researchers, and they were very careful in how they chose the shoes. They had a group of shoes that would have fit with the flexible shoe idea, and they surveyed a bunch of patients to see which ones they would actually wear, and they chose the most popular versions, and they did the same for the uh, supportive shoes, the ones that look like uh, uh, running shoes. They started off with a list of shoes that they knew people were likely to wear, and they're attractive looking shoes if you go to the supplement. And then the other thing they did was they, they're smart enough to know that people don't wear the same shoe every day. So they actually gave them a couple different pairs of shoes so they could switch around if they wanted, but they could only switch around with the type of shoe that they were randomized to. So that's partly what, that's what they did. And then they randomized people and uh, they didn't tell them one was active. They just said, we're, we're going to compare two different types of shoes. And they took people with pretty bad, I mean, now in, in the overall scheme of studies of knee osteoarthritis, Bob, these are patients with pretty bad disease. They have a good deal of pain. They're pretty overweight. The BMIs on average were 31, 32, which even for a knee osteoarthritis population is reasonably high. So these are pretty overweight people. And their structural disease was pretty bad. They had advanced uh, osteoarthritis, Kelgren and Lawrence three and four. Three is the most common degree of severity in patients with knee OA, but grade two is also OA and it's a little bit milder and they excluded people with milder radiographic OA. So these are people with pretty bad disease and, uh, and they randomized them and then followed them and uh, tried to figure out whether one group did better with respect to pain than the other. How many patients approximately in the study? I, I'm, I'm blanking on the numbers. I think it was 82 in each group. Is that, is that right? It, it, it's somewhere group? in that range, 60s to yeah. 80. Like yeah, that. yeah. 62, I think, in each group, something like that. And uh, how long did the study go on for? And I think it was six months. I think that's right. It's a real test. Six months right. seems like it's a real test. Right. You've already talked a little bit about table one, about the weights of the patients. The age, I think, was in the 60s. 60s, typical age for osteoarthritis yeah. patients. That's mean age 64, I think. And I just want to read a quote from the article. Uh, we recruited English-speaking community volunteers. Thus, our findings may not be generalized with persons seeking tertiary care or those from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. I think that you always have to put that sentence in there when you have uh, this type of study. Do you think that would have made a difference? To be honest with you, I don't think it would have made a difference. Yeah. I, our non-English speaking communities, obviously osteoarthritis is incredibly prevalent in everyone, every community of older people. Um, yeah. And I think they could benefit. The, the results probably would generalize well. Uh, our African-American community, which wasn't well represented here in Australia, tends to also have very high rates of knee osteoarthritis and unfortunately often are overweight. And I think, I think this would probably generalize well to them too. What are the results? That's what was interesting, uh, Bob. I mean, the results are the opposite of what they anticipated. They designed this as a superiority trial, meaning testing out whether the, uh, the flexible shoe would be better than the supportive shoe. And they found, frankly, the opposite, that the supportive shoe lessened pain more than the flexible shoe did uh, significantly more. And the result was uh, in many of the patients reached levels that are probably clinically, minimally clinically important. So what it suggests, and I think this is a well, enough, well not done enough study 
to, to think about, maybe I want to think about this in clinic, um, is that supportive shoes, like typical running shoes that provide arch supports, that have a heel uh, and, and sole that are thick but supportive, and that have uh, heels that prevent your calcaneus from moving back and forth when you walk, might actually help people and reduce their pain a little bit. And I think that's, um, that's meaningful. We went through the rationale for why they thought the flat flexible was going to be better. Is there a rationale for why the stability map may actually be useful? Yeah, Bob, there is actually, and it, it's pretty interesting. So those flexible shoes, I don't know if you, if you wear them, you find that there's not much, your foot can go in almost any direction when you, when you, you know, uh, when you walk and it can't control your knee much. Supportive shoes are the opposite of that. One of the things they do that's relevant biomechanically is they prevent something that we all do when we walk, which is pronation. So what happens is just like your arm pronates when you, when you say open a door or uh, supinates when you open a door and pronates when you close a door um, with a door handle, holding onto the door handle, um, your foot pronates when you walk from going to heel strike down to, to push off with your toes, your foot pronates. And what that does is that moves the foot and the, the uh, biomechanical uh, ground reaction force medially, and it generates more load across the medial knee. So remember, the foot, foot is connected to the ankle, the ankle is connected to the knee. So what those running shoes do is they prevent a lot of that pronation and they don't allow it to occur unsupported. So that probably has effects on the knee by lowering that medial moment, but we, they didn't study the medial moment, so we don't know that for sure. But what it suggests is that letting the foot go wherever it wants, like in a flexible shoe, isn't gonna be as effective as controlling what the foot does and limiting the pronation that the foot goes through when you walk, and that that might help the knee. Is this impacting your practice? I see a lot of patients with osteoarthritis. It's an area I specialize in, and I think what it's going to do is to help me. I've never been convinced, because studies have never shown consistently, that shoes matter in patients with osteoarthritis of the knee. And I think what this will do is make me ask a little bit more about what patients are wearing, look a little more closely at what they're wearing. And I think suggest to them that maybe they ought to try a running shoe if they haven't to see if it helps their symptoms. And so would you re recommend this to primary care physicians? I think I would. I think what I would say, it's, it's an easy fix and it's really pretty benign. And I think what I would say is it might help and it might not if you're miserable with your knee pain and you're walking around in flip-flops you know, or, uh, or in something else that's a very unsupportive shoe, why don't you try, you know, getting a, a running shoe uh, that has the following features. And I think I'd probably write out or show them a picture of them off the web. They can go to the store and buy what is called a running shoe, but it won't have those structural features to it. So it needs to have a fairly good sized heel with uh, rubber support that limits impact. It needs to have a medial arch support and, uh, and those, are, those are really the main things. And it needs to have a, a little uh, extra rubber bar around the heel so as to prevent heel motion when you heel strike. Mm -hmm. I actually 
knew uh, a resident who had some knee osteoarthritis and found a pair of running shoes that was recommended to him and miraculously he was able to work with that without as much pain. So it sort of makes sense to me. And I think it would be fascinating if we got people with a little bit less osteoarthritis and see whether or not it had any impact on progression. Because I assume that the the, the medial moment has something to do with progression while you keep getting less and less space and you get bone on bone, which I can I just can't imagine how bad that must feel. Yes, I, uh, the adduction moment that we talked about, that medial moment is very closely related to cartilage loss, to progression radiographically of the knee. But this study didn't include right. uh, a measurement of that. And to be honest with you, previous studies haven't supported the notion that shoes like this would lower that medial moment. So we don't really quite understand exactly, even though I created a scenario and an explanation for why it might work, we don't have a lot of evidence that it works that way. So I, I think figuring out what the biomechanics of this effect is and whether it would limit progression or somehow slow progression is, is needed. Well, I certainly hope that uh, we learn more about this. This, is, this has been a fascinating. I love the way you explained all this. And rarely in my career have I ever been anything other than frustrated by knee osteoarthritis. And now trying to understand the science and how that might impact ways we manage it. I think that's really useful. And I, we really thank you for uh, being on your podcast. This is a, an area where there's going to be, I think, in the next five or 10 years, a lot of advances in terms of treatment. Well, that's great. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Bob. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This interesting discussion of knee osteoarthritis gives me a greater appreciation for how one might address uh, this common problem. Certainly the emphasis on exercise and physical therapy uh, is an important one that Dr. Felsen mentioned early in the conversation. The randomization of the flat uh, flexible shoes versus the stable supportive shoes gave a result that was unexpected and that stable supportive shoes actually led to less pain in patients who had severe knee osteoarthritis. The one caution uh, that I'll add is that all of these patients already had severe knee osteoarthritis and we don't have any similar studies with more moderate knee osteoarthritis. Nonetheless, this gives us one more option to give to our patients who are suffering with this painful condition. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.